It's good to be with you, to see so many familiar faces, to be with you online, and a big shout out to our Butterfield family, which, as Kelly said, I had the privilege to journey with for four years, uh, helping us move into multi-site ministry. Um, yeah, actually, Kelly, I think I'm going to, it's been 15, almost 16 years I was on staff. We transitioned to Christ Church. We moved here the week of Christmas in 2005 or 6, I think it was, with uh, two little toddlers, a, a, a almost four-year-old and a two-year-old. We moved everything into our house. We went to Pittsburgh for a family reunion. They call it Second Christmas. We came back the, 30, uh, the 1st of January, and I started January 2nd of whatever year that was, abandoning Suan with two toddlers in a house that wasn't unpacked. And if you know anything about the pace of Christ Church, I was off and running. So fond, fond uh, memories. <laughs> uh, some of you, that may have been news, or we have not had the opportunity to introduce ourselves. Uh, after those 15, 16 years, I transitioned uh, to Altar Fly Fishing, a ministry that I founded, uh, and a vision that was growing. And what we do is we host spiritual retreats all over the country for the purpose of soul care, renewal, and life planning. And we do it through the art and beauty of some of God's most fabulous creation. We say trout live in beautiful places, but that's some of the mix. But we do retreats for men and women. We do treats for leaders. We had C12, a group of Christian business owners and CEOs, retreat for them. We do a lot with pastors, helping pastors renew and heal and continue in ministry in a day when they estimate 2,000 pastors a month are leaving the ministry, not just their church, but leaving the ministry we want to be part of the solution in changing that narrative and that story of pastors in America. And we had the opportunity to lead our first um, spiritual resiliency training with 16 Navy SEALs, active duty Navy SEALs from uh, eight different SEAL teams, which was just an amazing experience. And that's actually going to grow next year. And we're going to host special operation forces chaplains with the Green Beret, Delta Force SEALs, uh, because who's investing into those? folks. They invest so much in others, but yet often feel like they're on an island, like so many people do. And so uh, it's interesting. People now, when I come back, they, they ask the question, so how's the fishing? And I say, the fishing's good, but the ministry is awesome. Awesome. What I've found, not just over the last year through all the retreats we've been leading, but I've been watching this over a period of years, is that people are, are actually struggling. We operate kind of at this little bit of a boiling pressure point with so much activity, stress, anxiety, uh, we're busy, we're tired, um, and we've called that normal. And when we get people away, and we're going to talk about this, there's something about getting away where we can <sighs> exhale. And when all of those RPMs can come down, people really realize, oh my goodness, my soul is perhaps not as it should be. And that's where our retreats began, and this is where we seek to do many things. But what we find over the period of four or five days is that, you know, those unhealthy rhythms, the fatigue, the pain, the host of burdens people are carrying, they begin to get replaced with hope and renewal, 
We're seeing transformation, people uh, building confidence to take intentional steps to live differently, to change the rhythms of their life. We're seeing resurrection, things that were dead in people's lives coming back to life and they never thought it was possible again for themselves or in their relationships. And so how's it going? How's the fishing? I would say the ministry is awesome and it's having a ripple effect far beyond just a retreat. And so I'm living an adventure. We have stepped out in faith to expand the ministry. And if any of that is interesting to you, or maybe I know there's some of you that have been on retreats. I see your faces here. It's good to see you again. Um, If you would want to know more about that or even how you can get behind to support or journey with us in this ministry, I am easy to find. And I would love to actually hear more of your story, which is going to tie into what we're talking about this morning. As a pastor, missionary, ministry leader for over 25 years, creeping up on 30 years, I have had the privilege to journey and listen to a lot of people, to watch, but also hear their stories. And as I have, I have found four things that have kind of risen to the surface around the question of what are the things that have most influenced or shaped or formed a person's life? And as I share the top four things, I want you to perhaps think about your own lifeline. Good, the bad, the ugly, but just think back from childhood up to today, what have been the things that have shaped and formed your life and see if these ring true. The first is regular habits and rhythms. The things we do every day, every week, uh, our rhythms, our habits, our traditions, they reinforce or shape things in us. And perhaps the easiest way to see this is when we go on a diet, when we change eating patterns or exercise, we see a physiological change within us. Well, that happens in many different ways in the areas of our life. And so the things we do every day shape and form us. And you kind of say like, duh, Eric, like let's pick it up a little bit. But, but that's, I hear that over and over again and I see it over and over again. The second thing are what I call life moments. Or if you were ever in the Nehemiah ministry, which was called I Purpose in recent years, how many of you were involved with that ministry years back? Yeah, I see some hands. They call them turning points. These life moments where life was never the same, something happened, and some of those things are good. You get married, you have children, you graduate, Maybe you take that new job that moves you to another part of the country. From that point forward, life is never the same again. But then there's other moments that maybe are not welcomed and not so good. You get the news to report back from the doctor that cancer has returned again. Or that late phone call that says there's been an accident. You better come to the hospital or whatever. Or maybe it's a recession and you find yourself as one of the unfortunate people that is laid off, or you live in Kentucky and floods go through your home. There's moments that also shape and form our life that are not so good. But whether good or bad, life is never the same from that point forward, life moments. The other thing I often hear is what I've coined is devoted time away. You'll hear people talk often about what shaped their life. They'll say, you know what, I went to that camp Actually, I was at a donor dinner earlier this week, uh, and one, we did three retreats at Frontier Ranch, which is Young Life's camp. That's where we stayed. And, uh, and someone at this dinner said, oh my goodness, I came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior at that camp. 
People will talk about the camps they went to. Maybe it's a retreat, a conference. Maybe it was a mission trip where you went away and you thought, wow, it just reoriented your life. Maybe it was a vacation, but not just any vacation. There was something intentional we did as a family. And you come back to that moment and say, that defined or changed something, that devoted time away. And then the fourth thing I hear over and over again is the power of relationships. Certainly your families of origin powerfully shaped your life. Again, in good ways and sometimes in not so good ways. It's that coach or that pastor or that mentor or my small group. Those things shape and form our life and people will talk about that. Do do these ring true for you as you scan the years of your life? Do you find those things characterizing what has shaped and formed your life? Yeah. One of the things we try to do on retreats is to bring all of these together, to invite people to get away, to devote time away. And some of the, and the power, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, to even devote time in an environment where God can just speak with the power and the awe of his creation and the people's lives around intentional conversations. But then, but then we want to do it in a way that just maybe it creates one of these life moments that changes a trajectory that will impact the daily habits and rhythms and relationships of how people live life and do it in the context of relationships, sending people back so the ripples of impact, the goodness of what God is doing in their life will be a blessing to others. How's it going? The ministry's awesome, but at the heart of it, it's all about transformation. It's all about transformation. And so I want to invite you to give yourself permission this morning as we journey through this message. It's going to be, I want to share what is some of the secret sauce to how that actually happens and begins. How do you live a life that opens you to God's transformation and goodness in your life? There are four verses that have really spoken powerfully to me in my life over not just the last year, I'd say over the last five, and actually one of them dating back 25 years, but they are speaking as loud now as they ever have in my life. And I would like to share those with you as we go on a little journey together. The first is Matthew 16, verse 26, and it says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit or lose their soul, their life? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I've said that word soul a lot. Maybe one of the easiest ways to understand it is from Dallas Willard, an amazing teacher, uh, writer, thinker who uh, we have appreciated and valued here at Christ Church. He says the soul is like this all-encompassing uh, like membrane that houses our emotional, physical, mental, relational, vocational. It's All of this wrapped up together is our soul. You don't have a soul, you are a soul. And that soul lives for eternity. Or as Irenaeus in the second century said, the soul is always forming. The question is, into what? And when I read Jesus' words in Matthew 16, what I partly hear him saying is that There is something dynamic going on in our soul and our life. And in fact, it's going to be shaped and formed continuously. And what we pursue, where we set our minds and lives or the paths we go down, will impact that soul and it will either thrive or it can shrink. 
It can grow or we can actually forfeit and lose some things that God just loves and cares about deeply. Someone once said there's three things that last forever. God, God's word, and the souls of men, the souls of women, the souls of people. To, To the extent you invest in those three, you invest in eternity. Friends, the greatest gift God has given you is your one and only soul. Your one and only soul. In John 10.10, we read this, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you would have life and have it to the full, abundant, overflowing, being a blessing beyond yourself to others. I love that verse, especially the second half of that verse. But you know, when I put those two verses together, I find myself asking the question is, What are people seeking to gain or what are they pursuing in life that has created such pressure, this underlying stress, anxiety, this fatigue? What is it that people are pursuing that's actually having them forfeit or feel like they might be fine on the outside, but they're losing ground on the inside? And so maybe I would just ask you to think about your own life as you're doing your own reflection this morning. What is it that dominates or has the majority or priority of your time, of your mental energy, of your finances, where you're putting your sense of worth and hope and security? What is it that makes you really happy and what is it that makes you really angry? And what are those things revealing about how you are doing, the state of your soul? When I look at that John passage, you know, we love that I've come that you would have life and have it to the full. We want to live with an abundance mindset, not a scarcity. We don't have a scarcity God. We have a God of abundance. But yet we often rush past that first part that says there is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And there's a dichotomy here that Jesus is saying something is going to influence your life. Either it's going to be me And it's going to have one kind of fruit or influence, or it's going to be something else. And if it's something else, no matter what it is, it will not fully satisfy. In fact, it can rob and deplete your life, even if you're gaining the whole world. And one of the things we've wrestled with on some of the retreats this year is the idea of what if actually I've become a thief in my own life? What if I've left open the doors to allow robbers in, to steal, kill, destroy, to begin taking things, that I'm I'm losing things, and I've actually allowed it to happen? I've had to sit with that question this year when I look at some of my own frustrations. Just say, where is that coming from, and why am I feeding it or fueling it? And so the question that perhaps I would submit to you this morning is, how is your soul today? in this season? How is your soul really? As you think about that, I want to take you to the river. Use the river as a metaphor. Because one of the things I've learned as an angler that any good angler, if you ever have a fishing guide, they all do one thing before they stick a toe in the water, before they tie on a fly, before they start casting or some people begin flailing around, before they do any of that, they do one thing first. They pause, look, listen, and observe. You know why? Because the river will tell you everything you need to know 
about how, what, and where to fish. The river will tell you everything. When a good angler gazes across the surface of the water, what, are, what they're seeing are currents. And they're looking for bubble lines, foam lines. Have you ever noticed in a river that sometimes there just seems to be bubbles that all form a kind of like a track? What that is showing you is where the current is converging and where that is, that's where all the food in the river is going. And so you'll find trout right there. They're also looking at obstructions. Are there rocks? Are there logs that are creating pockets? Are there changes of depth in the river from riffles to deeper holes? Is there other streams? Is there convergence of other waters coming in? Uh, they look, they're looking in the air. Are there birds flying around? Because if you see birds, it means there's a hatch, there's flies. And if there's flies, what kind of flies? Are there fish rising or is the water quiet? What's the temperature of the water? That may seem like a lot and overwhelming. It becomes automatic. But this is what good anglers do because the river will tell you everything you need to know about what, where, and how to fish. Friends, the same is true of our lives and our souls. When we learn to read the waters of life, when we learn to read the waters of our soul, it will tell us everything we need to know about where to go next or where not to go next. And we do it, we submit it, into the presence of God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. There's something about pausing, looking, listening, and observing that reveals and serves the soul before God. And I want to wade deeper into these, this idea, into these waters with you today because your soul, your life, will tell you everything you need to know about where to go next. Another passage that uh, we actually close our retreats with, it's become the altar theme passages in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 47. How many of you woke up and read the book of Ezekiel today? It's a long book, so I'm guessing not, but like we don't live in the Old Testament maybe as much as we could, and certainly we're not reading those crazy prophets, all these books with names we can't explain or, or even pronounce um, but Ezekiel, I want to set this up, he's an exilic prophet. That means he's prophesying when Israel, the people of God, have been taken captive and are in exile in Babylon. And what that means is that they have lost their land, they have lost their rule, their, their king, they've lost the temple, which was the center uh, of the culture and, and the center of the people and the life. Uh, and and, and, and King Land, yeah, so they've lost all those things. And the problem is they have lost it because they had opportunities all along the way from other prophets that said, hey, we better shape up. We're going down this path. We can't do that. We've got to go this way. This is the way God wants us to, do, to go. And it's a little bit their fault. It's a lot their fault. And so not only now have they lost all this stuff and now they're displaced in another culture, um, you can imagine they're probably now feeling a lot of regret, feeling hopeless, um, and maybe even shame, probably shame. And so Ezekiel is prophesying to the people in this situation. And in the, in the last half of Ezekiel is really this message of hope that God is going to bring renewal. And as I read uh, these, the first 12 verses in Ezekiel 47, and maybe you want to follow along in your own Bible or 
or app on your phone, or maybe you just want to close your eyes, I want you to use your imagination because there's so much imagery in this passage. So hear these words. It says, the man, and the man is this angelic uh, figure that is leading Ezekiel through these, through these visions. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. And then he brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was trickling from the south side. Are you dizzy yet? <laughs> they're starting here, seeing a trickle, now they're outside, and the trickle is now going outside the temple. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, which was about a quarter mile. And then he led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was now knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was waist deep. He measured off another thousand. How far downstream are we now? About a mile. Another thousand. And he led me through water that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in a river that no one could cross. And he said, son of man... Do you see this? I want you to remember that question. Do you see this? So Ezekiel climbs out and drives himself off. He says, then he led me to the bank of the river, and when I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the Dead Sea. And when it empties into the Dead Sea, the salty water becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because the water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. <clears throat> Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to Englam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt which is very important to their sacrificial system. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both sides of the bank. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I love this passage. There's so much going on, and I wish we had a full hour or even a full day that we could just enter deep into the waters of what God is saying through this. But let me just highlight a few things. The first is the whole vision centers around this river that starts where? In the temple. And what does the temple represent to the people of God? His very presence the core of who they are and how they construct their lives was all around the temple and God's presence lived in the temple. Don't miss this. And then this little trickle goes from the Holy of Holies, the temple, right past or through the altar of sacrifice. This is also significant because the sacrificial system, the altar was pivotal in the life. It, was, it centered their worship life together. And if you think about making a sacrifice, what you would have to do is that first you would have to devote time away. 
Likely you had to go on a little bit of a journey to get to the altar to make your sacrifice. It cost you something. It cost you time, but it also cost whatever the sacrifice was, an animal, grain, whatever it was going to be sacrificed. You went there seeking something, and you left different than when you arrived. Blessed, forgiven, whatever was the nature of the sacrifice. That was core to the people. So you have God's presence and the centrality of worship and living this sacrificial life. Paul would say that we are to live lives, to be living sacrifices, holy to God, that this is to characterize our life, a life of journey, of investing, of seeking, and watching God fill up or supply all that's needed. This is where the, the origin of this passage lives. And then the water deepens. We have this cool imagery. I just see them kind of wading downstream, right? And they're, they're just checking every quarter of a mile along as they go, and it's getting deeper and deeper. And, and what I see in this is that if this is the river of God, where the river flows, it is going to widen and deepen. That's what God's presence does wherever it is allowed to flow. God brings thriving and flourishing and our God is vastly deep and wide. And then as Ezekiel climbs out of the stream, he's standing there and he can see the temple a mile up on the hill, Jerusalem in one direction, and now he's looking downstream and there's this amazing abundance. It's a scarce land, but all of a sudden he's seeing groves of trees that are, whose fruit never fail. Not just to feed a person, but now it can feed multitudes. The fishermen aren't just catching a fish, they're spreading nets because the fish are of many kinds and they're able to feed the multitudes. Leaves for healing, we're seeing imagery that we see in Psalm 1 and shows up again in Revelation in the river of God in the new heaven and the new earth. Abundance. And what I love is this imagery, this river then spills into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea comes to life. We see one of the early pictures of resurrection, that what was dead becomes new, has been made new. And friends, the Dead Sea is hopeless. A single river will never, ever impact the salt content, the concentration of the Dead Sea, yet the river of God, beyond anything, can bring newness, can bring new life. And some of you have, many of you have experienced this yourself. When Christ becomes yours, when Christ enters your life, the imagery of we die to self and we rise to walk in the newness of life, we are made new. And throughout your life, you've had moments where God has brought back to life things that were dead, perhaps relationships or, or something else. And, and some of you here today are in desperate need of some kind of resurrection, maybe to find, to, to finally reconcile with God and to become his child, to be made new. Or maybe there's something going on in your life to say, God, I just don't believe that anything new can come, anything good can come of this situation. If that's you, I want you to hear this. Wherever the river flows, everything will live. Friends, there's hope. But what's most intriguing to me in this passage is in verse 6, when this angel asks him, asks him this question, Son of man, do you see this? 
It's a fascinating question because, well, yeah, the river just got deeper, but, but I think there's more that Ezekiel is supposed to see and glean from this vision, this experience that he's having. And I would say in light of all that we've already said today, the question I would submit to you, friends, is do you see this? Do you see the power of the river of God in your life and flowing around you daily in your life? Are you pausing to look, listen, and observe so that you do not miss the things of God in your life? Dallas Willard, again, would say that there is little spiritual transformation without silence and solitude. Why? It's because we have to be still and know who God is. There's something about pausing, looking, listening, observing that opens ourselves up. Do you see it? Do you see where you are right now? Are you, are you reading the waters of your soul and seeing what's good and gives God glory, but also what are the obstructions? Where are the snags? What is hindering the flow of a river that could deepen and bring exponential blessing in your life? Just as the river will tell you everything you need to know about how, what, what, and where to fish, your life and soul will tell you everything you need to know if you will pause, look, listen, and observe. Do you see this? I believe it's the question that God has for us today, especially in a culture that will want to rob our souls even if it seems like we're gaining the whole world. There's one last verse, and I'll close with this. Uh, it's, I was a volunteer youth leader. It was myself and two moms in a little church. We were all volunteers, a church in Pittsburgh. I was 25 years old. We were at a student ministry conference, and when they shared this verse, I mean, I just remember it burning in my heart, burning for these kids. And it says this. It's from Jeremiah 6.16, and Jeremiah was one of the prophets to the people before they were exiled, telling them, hey, we've got to, like, shape up and repent and change our ways. And this is what Jeremiah writes. <clears throat> Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest, peace, life for your soul. It's a passage telling us to pause, look, listen, observe, and respond. And while I love that verse, there's something that breaks my heart in it because that's not the end of the verse. There's one more line that completes verse 16, and here's what it says. And the people said, we will not walk in it. We have a choice. Ezekiel was standing <clears throat> midpoint in this vision, looking in one direction, recognizing the power and presence of God, and the altar was feeding the source of this river, and then he was looking downstream at the abundance and the blessing of what could be. But I don't know where Ezekiel goes next, and I often wonder, where was his next step? Where did he go from there? Because there's another vision that he receives, and the book ends. I wonder what his next step was, but friends, more importantly, I wonder, what is your next step? What is going to characterize your story from this day forward? What path will you take? Will it be good for your soul and, and ultimately be a blessing for others? Or I pray it will not be like the people of God long ago 
that all that they may have known where they should do and could go, they said, no, I'm not going to go that way. I'd rather be a thief or a robber. I'd rather pursue other things, let those things drive my life, even if it causes loss less than best in my life. Friends, may we truly pause to look, listen, and observe. May we respond to what is good and of the things of God, and then walk in those ways for the glory of God and for the good of others. The choice is ours. Would you pray with me? (laughs) Father God, we thank you that we can gather in community, that we can open the scriptures to open ourselves to you and your word. God, I pray that they would transform our lives. God, help us to pause. Help us to learn to be silent so that, God, we can read the waters of our life and that you will reveal what is next because, God, we know this. We know that you are up to something. We know that through our pauses you can turn things around, that, God, you are healing, saving, that you're even resurrecting things that we thought have died in us long ago. And so, God, show us as we pause, look, listen, and observe. God, show us where the good roads are, the good paths. And God, give us the desire. May we respond to the desire to walk in the good ways so that we experience rest for our souls. We pray all of this in the power of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.